1 Corinthians chapter 3. Everybody happy today? 1 Corinthians 3. And if I could, I wouldn't... Oh, you know what? Um, yeah, I don't need this. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, Paul said to the church at Corinth, Brothers and sisters, I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as babies in Christ. Paul said to the church, I fed you with milk, talking about the word of God. He was teaching certain levels of the word. And I did not feed you with meat, for up till now you were not able to bear it. Neither yet now are you able, for you are still carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as mere men? All right. So I wanted to read this scripture because I believe we're able to hear some of these things that they weren't. At least in the context of what God has for us. I'm not sure. Yeah, you, you can read First and Second Corinthians and know a degree of what he had for them. But we're a little different. But I want you to see here that Paul was not able to share certain things from the word of God that were meaty with this congregation. Because they were still too much of baby Christians when they should have grown up some more. They were carnal. They were fleshly. They were comparing themselves with one another. One of them said, I'm of Paul. Another one said, I'm of Apollos. And they were, had these idols in the church. Or one of them was this person. That's carnality. And that's one of the reasons God can't give people more meat because they choke on it. But I said all that to say this. If the Lord, in fact, wants me to share some of the things I'm going to share today, and it seems a little tough and a little chewy, be thankful that you grew up to a level to where you can hear it. And I know we all hear on different levels and the Lord filters things for us where we're at and that's awesome and powerful. I don't believe if you're, you, know, you could be a very, very young Christian today and still be blessed and helped by some of the things I'm going to share. But just know that if the Lord ever allows a preacher to go to certain scriptures you don't usually hear, to say certain things you don't usually hear, take it as a compliment even though it's uncomfortable. That's God saying, you know what, you've grown up some children and I've got some things to share with you. And I want to say this to you also. I believe with all my heart that what we're going to hear today is directly from the love of God to us. And I need to preface it with that because some of these scriptures, if you don't remember that the Lord loves you, you might be tempted to take this in a wrong way. Like maybe God's mad at you or maybe God's, you know, maybe something bad is going to happen to you and... Just take all this in the context of how much your Heavenly Father loves you so much. He wants to spare you from things in the future that are destructive and not good. Sometimes you can't be nice with somebody who's going the wrong way. Sometimes you have to jump out in front of them and tackle them. Can I get a witness? So, this today will be a grow-up message. All right, now let me preface it with this too. I know a lot of prefaces here, right? Preface, forward, introduction, <laughs> finally, chapter one, right? Um, but th there are some things that if we don't hear and we don't study, we will be lopsided in our Christian walk. Some people do not want to talk about hell. 
And I'm not saying that's what we're talking about today. Some people don't want to talk about the sin unto death. But it's in the Bible. It's in there for a reason. Now, should we study that every day and every week? No. But there are times that if we don't look at these other scriptures that promote healthy fear of God, we'll be lopsided in our Christianity, we'll, be, have lack, we'll lack power when it comes to resisting the enemy, things won't be right if we don't look at these. Some of these things I heard when I was a very young Christian, and they, they, they led me right into full-time ministry. Because I realized when I read these things, like Carla said, we're way beyond playing church here. This is serious stuff. The most joyful, but also very serious. Some of these things have to be in your system if you want to live a well-rounded Christian life. If you ignore some of these scriptures, you will live a lopsided Christian life. You'll be at a disadvantage in certain storms, and you won't make it through certain challenges. Some of these things I learned when I was a very young Christian. So I know personally that it's even good for very young believers, not just those that are fully mature. Sometimes young believers are more mature in their attitude and pureness and heart than some people who have been in the church for 49 years who have slipped back into the world and got messed up and entangled and all this other stuff. So, it's a grow-up message, but we need this in our spirit. And you understand, so... Hebrews chapter 10. I titled this last week after the sermon. I didn't have a title before the sermon. I like, I like getting titles after I preach because a lot of times I don't even know everything I'm going to say. Most of the time, I don't know everything I'm going to say. I hear, hear my own CDs to hear what the Holy Ghost said to our church. <laughs> I do. I go back and listen to the MP3s to hear what the Spirit said to the church. Since I'm a part of the church, I want to hear what He said. Because when I'm delivering it, I may not be in the full receptive mode, so I go back later and listen to it. So Hebrews chapter 10. Are you ready, church? Everybody say this. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. All right. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23. And we're going to read a few scriptures here. The Bible says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith... Without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. I tell you what, I'm going to read this with you from the screen. Let's go to the next verse. Now, back up. Did you see that? What? What are we supposed to do? Hold fast. Hold on to something. What, what's, what's he saying that for? So you don't let go of what you are holding on to. Right. As a believer, can you let go? Of things you're holding on to. Absolutely. What are we told here? Don't let go of what you got a hold of when you got saved. Right. Why say that if it sticks automatically? Amen. Next verse. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Next verse. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now stop right here. He's saying one of the things you got to watch out about letting go of is church meetings. Assembling together the way the Lord designed would be within a pastoral 
setting because he's the one that gave pastors. He must want people to come together in local churches or why give pastors? And this is something that the Lord prophesied would happen in the last days. There would be people who would forsake. I don't need that. I don't need church. I have my own relationship with the Lord. I love the Lord. What is that? That's deception. You may love the Lord. You may have a little bit of truth in there. But if the Lord said, don't forsake the assembling, everybody say this. Well, let me just say this to you. We've got to save time here. (laughs) All right. If you're going to live a successful Christian life, there is some assembly required. Right? There's things you're going to get in church you can't get at home. There's things you can get at home you can't get in church. If you want to get anywhere, you better have both wheels on the bicycle, right? Not just one. So he's talking about not forsaking church meetings, one translation says, especially as you see the day approaching. So if you know somebody who says church is no big deal, uh, you don't need to go to church, Love them, but don't follow them. Next verse. For if we sin willfully. Now, this is, to me, this is interesting that this is connected with staying hooked up in your local church and not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. If we sin willfully, after that we have received knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins. I'll explain some more of this in a minute, what all that means. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and a fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sorer punishment, suppose you, shall he be thought worthy who has trodden underfoot the Son of God, has counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and has done despite unto the Spirit of grace." Now, to me, this is amazing that all this is in context with with leaving church. And not exhorting one like like you used to. Interesting to me. Well, the church is the pillar and the ground of truth. You get too far away from that, you're more open to deception. I wish I, I, I don't wish I, you know, the truth of the matter is this. I can't get everything on my own and you can't get everything on your own. The Lord has designed the system in such a way, whether you like it or not, you need me and I need you and you need them and they need you. It's the way it works. It's called the body of Christ. You know, one of the most important things you're going to have to overcome in life, if you want to be a successful believer and not be going through unnecessary adversity all your life, you know one of the most important things you're going to have to overcome? is what you want. And to get to the point where what he wants is more important than even what you want. I know you probably thought I was going to say the devil and demons is the most important thing you're going to have to overcome. No, devil, you can resist him. He will flee from you. You can't resist you and you flee from you. You've got to deal with you. You're going to be with you forever. You can't resist you and you flee from you. You can resist the devil and he will flee from you, but you can't resist you and you you got to deal with you. You got to deal with you. Paul said, I die daily to poles and tugs telling me there's an easier way. He he went through death every day. And if we're going to do this Christian thing right, we're going to be dying to something every day. A desire, a passion that's off, our own will that's not going God's way. Like we said last week, 
The Bible says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, that we are not only called to believe on Jesus, we're also called to suffer for his sake. We're not called to, we're not called to suffer sickness and disease. But we are called to suffer in the area of doing his will, whether we feel like it or not. Resisting temptation when it comes barreling in. Walking in love when somebody was not lovely to you. These are areas you're going to have to suffer. Endure hardness as a good soldier. All that live godly in Christ are going to suffer persecution. So resist the suffering that Jesus suffered for you, but hit head on the other suffering that you're just going to have to go through to grow up. All right. So go back now to verse 35. Hebrews 10, 35. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. What's he saying here? He's saying, don't cast away your confidence. Hold fast to your confession of faith. Don't stop these church meetings. He's telling you, don't stop doing something you've started doing. Don't give up something you got when you got saved, because you're going to be tempted to severely to do it. And here he gets more clear. Look at this. Next verse. Next verse. For you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Next verse. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now notice this. Talking to believers. Next verse. The just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back. Who's he talking to? He's not talking to non-believers because non-believers don't have to draw back. They're already back. They're already in a place that they don't want to be. So he says, don't draw back. The just shall live by faith. My soul shall have no pleasure in him that draws back. Next verse. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition. But of them that believe to the saving of the soul. And it's very interesting, the very next verse of chapter 11, he starts talking about faith. Because if you want to stay steady, you better stay with faith. So, we talked about last week, perdition prevention. I believe the Lord quickened me to do this because there are some people slipping deeper into sins that they know they shouldn't be in. And if they keep going, it's going to be harder to get out. And if you keep going and keep going and keep going, the danger of you not wanting out is imminent. To me, it blows me away to think that a believer can yield to the devil for so long, give in to certain thoughts for so long, accept certain things that they knew were wrong at one time as right for so long that they can actually mess up their will and not want Jesus anymore. It can happen. It's happened to others. It can ha- this, is, this is where the sober part comes in, okay? We're going we're gonna to stay a million miles away from this because we're not going to be afraid of these scriptures. We're going to look at these scriptures. Would you say this with me? I am not of them that draw back unto perdition. Now, perdition in the Greek, it's the word destruction. Eminent destruction. I thought it was interesting because, you know, there's a doctrine out today. It's a false doctrine that says once you're saved, you're always saved. That's stupid. 
What did you say? I'm not going to apologize. That's stupid. That's a stupid doctrine. What, did you become a robot after you got saved? Have no more will? Huh? Do you know, as a believer, you do not have to go up in the rapture. You're not going to be snatched apart from your will out of here. And I said last week, and I believe it was by the Spirit of God, because I went back and listened to it, and I thought, wow, I heard the Holy Ghost say that was from heaven. There are some believers that are so attached to this world and so attached to the things of this life that they are not going to want to go up in the rapture. And the Lord ain't going to make them go up. Actually, I sensed in my spirit that one of these, if we keep going with this for a couple of weeks, we're going to take a whole Sunday morning and talk about, can a believer miss the rapture? Well, can I just give you a simple answer right now? They can if they want to. And don't think people can't get too attached to this world. There's some people that they ain't looking for Him. There's some believers, there's some church people, they are not looking for His second coming. They're not looking for His coming back to catch the church of the way. And the Bible says He's only appearing to those a second time who look for Him. Did you ever read that scripture? It said the Lord will appear a second time to a certain group of people. Who? Those who are looking for Him. What if you ain't looking for him? You might miss him because this is a quick event. Twinkling of an eye, it's over. A twinkling of an eye means an atomic second. Like Pastor Mark Hankins was teaching, one millionth of a millionth of a second when they chopped that, that smallest particle and smaller than the atom. A picosecond, I think they called it. This is going to happen super quick. And if you're looking over here at all this other stuff, and he's over here, and he boom! Right. <laughs> Just something to think about. I'm not saying that that's 100% prophecy there, but he's coming back for those who look for him. You can become so accustomed to a prison cell that when they say you can go, you really don't want to go. You don't know anything but this. You don't know how to function in the real world. There's nothing out there that pulls on you. It's like, this was my life for 40 years. I was, I was here for life in prison. They're saying I can go now in the last three years of my life. It's like, there's some people, the door opens, they don't, they just, they don't want to go. You can become so attached to certain things that when the door opens, you don't really want to go. I say we stay a million miles away from that. Yeah. I say we prevent that by looking at some of these scriptures. Now, church, can you, can you draw back to perdition as a believer? Some people say it's impossible. Some people say once you're saved, you're always saved. Well, let's look at a couple more scriptures because I, I think we need to get this in our spirit, not only for you, but for people out there that you may know. I like to put it this way. After you get saved, yes, you're saved forever if you don't yield to other things and get messed up and your will gets messed up and you want other things and by the time it's all over, you don't want Jesus anymore. Why would he talk about this? Trotting underfoot the Son of God. They're talking to believers here. Alright, so I want to reserve 10 minutes to read you the story I mentioned to you last week about that woman who was a believer. 
and went too far. Out of Brother Hagin's book, The Triumphant Church, Dominion Over All the Powers of Darkness. Uh, I'm going to take 10 minutes just before we're done. I'm going to read that to you, and then we'll receive communion, and we'll go. But before we do that, I, you need to see about just a couple more scriptures here, because this is not one isolated scripture. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Guys, this is so good. This is so good, because you're not only are you going to stay a million miles away, what you receive now, you're going to be able to share with people, I'll never be around. When, it, when this comes up, you may have to, in love, say some things, you know, because the danger in the once saved, always saved message is that people will feel and think that it doesn't matter what I do, doesn't matter if I shape up or not, I can do all this stuff and everything will still be hunky dory. Newsflash you can be destroyed under grace as a believer. You can open the door to the enemy. You can get out of God's protection. You can say, Jesus, I don't want you anymore. Now, you feel, I would never say that. I would never say it. Famous last words of many people. They got too deep. They went too far. They, 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 they started messing with their soul and their will. And Even if none of us in this room ever get with a million miles of this, hearing these things will help you grow up properly spiritually because they're in the Bible. It'll do something to your maturity on the inside of you that will help you stay steady even in every other area. So Hebrews, what did I say turn to? 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Paul said, now the Holy Spirit speaks expressly. In other words, stop what you're doing! And Listen. In the latter times, which is our times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils or demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from meats. It's nothing wrong with being a vegetarian. Just don't command other people to do what you think you should do. Commanding to abstain from me, which God has created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. Keep going. It's sanctified by the word of God in prayer. If you put the brethren in remembrance of these things, you shall be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine whereunto you have attained. So go back to verse 1. How can you depart from something you're not presently in? Can you be in the faith? Can you be a believer and leave if you want to? How does it happen? It happens subtly. It happens over time. The devil will wait 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years if that's what it takes. You need to understand that the devil doesn't come to you as the devil. He comes to you as an angel of light. He knows you'll resist the devil, but he wants to pretend he's, he's God or something. But now it says here that in the last days, some are going to depart from the faith. Say that. Say this. That's not me. By the grace of God, it ain't me. And don't be afraid of it being you. That's ridiculous. This ain't us. We're in this to the death, right? Or to the rapture. Some shall depart from the faith, giving heed, listening. See, it's very important what you don't listen to. Where were these teachings? Probably in churches. Because where would a Christian go to hear teaching other than church? 
Can some of these things creep in the church, friend? Oh, yes. Yeah, they can. And they did, and they have some today as well. I'm telling you, when, when teachings come forth telling you you don't have to repent, when teachings come forth saying the book of James is not for believers, when teachings come forth saying 1 John is not for believers, when teaching, that's called denying the Lord Jesus that bought them. The word deny means contradict. And you'll find out in Peter's writings and Jude's writings that many believers started denying the Lord. In other words, not saying, I don't want you anymore at that stage. Just saying, that's not for me. That's for the Jews only. Or, Man, if everything Jesus taught was just for the Jews, we can't even be born again. Because if everything, because Jesus taught, you must be born again. And if everything he taught was for the Jews, we're lost. No, there's a lot of things Jesus said that were universal for everybody. But there's teachings out today saying you don't have to repent of sin. And you open up the book of Revelation, and right there, Jesus tells church people, believers, you need to repent or else. Come on. He said, I love you. I'm rebuking you because I love you. And you need to repent. Right? I can't understand. You know, if, if, if other parts of Scripture don't jive with your new doctrine, throw the stupid doctrine away. Amen. Don't try to cut out other Scriptures saying they're not for us. You're going to get down to one verse. And everything else in the Bible is going to contradict that one verse, the way you're interpreting it. Okay, so we mentioned last week that there's some problems in the church. There's a drinking problem in the church. There's an alcohol problem in the church. It has gone so haywire, it's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Drinking is so out of control in the church, it's... it's I'd laugh if it wasn't so serious. It's like, what? If you would have told me this, it would be like this 25 years ago. I said, no way. The church is totally satisfied with God, filled with the Spirit. They don't need all that other stuff, standing up for their beer and their wine and all this stuff. The church in California just started. So-so pastor said, we have opened up our brewery in our church, and we serve beers before the sermon, and the more beers they drink, the better the sermons they are. This person is 100% serious. And he goes, yeah, and Jesus drank wine and the Holy Ghost said, no, he didn't. Not like you think he did. Actually, they offered him wine in Mark 15, and the Bible says, quote, he refused it. No, no, he he eat and drink with sinners. He, he drank wine. No, it said they said he was a wine bibber and a gluttonous man. So if you're going to say he drank wine, then you also have to say he's a glutton, and Jesus is not a glutton, and he's not a wine-bibber. The people said that about Jesus. Right. Jesus didn't say that about Jesus. Right. So it's like they lie about people today. But they find these scriptures, well, the Lord turned water into wine. There's an alcohol problem in the church today. And people need to think twice about going down that road saying, oh, it's just fun. It's up to you whether you do this or do that, but the people that I follow, they don't drink, we don't drink, we don't need it, they don't need it. The Hagans, the Hankins, the Copelands, right, the Moors, uh, all these people that we... Are, I've never really understood why people need it so bad where they'd have to find scriptures to defend it. Am I preaching okay? A few people may leave, you know, but a lot more will come in. It's, there, there's, there's fornication in the church. That's a problem. People are sleeping together. They're not married. They live with each other. Live with each other. They're not married. 
and they think it's okay. That is serious stuff. Falling, repenting, falling, hating what you did, that's one thing. But accepting it as okay, big problem. Not with me, you do what you want to do, but with your Lord and with scriptures, it's not going to flow. The Bible says that we are to abstain from fornication. We ought to know how to possess our own vessels in sanctification and honor. Abstain from fornication and not be like the heathen who don't know God. Who commits fornication? People who don't know God. I'm talking people who commit, not people who stumble and fall and hate what they did and get back up and go on and doing their best to overcome lust and a habit. That's one thing. But saying, hey, it's okay is to contradict the words of the Lord and it's to deny Him. There's a problem in the church today. There are believers talking bad about leadership. They despise dominion. They don't, they don't talk properly. About, the Bible says you shall not speak evil of the ruler of your people. And believers are doing it all over the place. And they're going to slip deeper and deeper if pastors don't get the guts to share some of these things and quit being afraid they're going to leave. Amen. Pastor one time preached on sin. The Lord said, I'm going to have you preach on sin and you're going to lose a bunch of people after you do. He said, Lord, I don't want to do it, but for you, I'll do it. He preached this message on sin, the best he knew how, from the love of God. And sure enough, all these people left his church. But he said after a couple of weeks, more came in that left because people who were really hungry for God and didn't want some sugar-coated sermon started coming and their church grew. Sometimes there's a weeding out before there can be a growth spurt. But I'm saying this church in love. See, here, here's the thing. We're in the last days. The end of all things is at hand. If we don't address some of these things, some of our brothers and sisters are going to slip deeper and deeper, and they may not want to come back. Serious stuff. Depart from the faith. Look at another scripture quickly. Hebrews 6, verse 4 through 6. Um, actually, before we read that, can I read you this book here? Because time's getting away from us. You guys okay? Yes. Don't leave, please. Unless you really got to go. All right, I just want to read you. This is going to take just a couple minutes, but it's out of the book, The Triumphant Church. And um, I'm going to go ahead and just stand here, read this. It's going to take about nine minutes. I timed myself because I wanted to make sure it didn't go too long. But it's out of his book. It's under the chapter, Can a Christian Have a Demon? All right, and the subchapter is a 1952 vision enveloped in a cloud of glory. Kenneth Hagin, a lot of our spiritual father. His, his ministry impacted the world. It still is. Jesus appeared to him like seven times. This is one of the visitations that he talks about in the 1952 vision enveloped in a cloud of glory. Are you guys got your listening ears on? Okay, here we go. When Jesus appeared to me in 1952 in that vision, he talked to me extensively on the subject of demons and how they get a hold of people. There are three parts to the 1952 vision in which Jesus taught me how demons try to gain access to people. I was holding a meeting in a church in 1952. I was staying at the parsonage. After the meetings, the pastor and I would fellowship together. After one of the evening meetings, the pastor and I began to pray. I no more expected anything unusual to happen at that moment than I expected to be the first man to land on the moon. I never felt so ordinary in all my life. 
But as soon as I knelt down to pray, it just seemed like a white cloud came down and enveloped me. And I found myself kneeling in a cloud of glory. I couldn't see a thing. My physical senses were suspended. My eyes were wide open, but I couldn't see the stove, the table, or anything else in the kitchen. Jesus began his conversation with me by saying, I'm going to teach you something concerning the devil, demons, and demon possession. For from this night forward, what is known in my word as discerning of spirits will operate in your life when you are in the spirit. Jesus said, I'll show you exactly how demons and evil spirits get a hold of people and dominate them and possess them, even Christians, if Christians let them. Jesus talked to me for some time about the gift of discerning of spirits. One of the things he said to me that was the discerning of spirits is supernatural insight into the realm of spirits. Then still, enveloped in that cloud of glory, Jesus opened the realm of the spirit to me. And I began seeing into that realm. I saw a woman. And Jesus began to narrate the following scene to me. I saw this scene all in action as it unfolded. Jesus said to me, for instance, this woman was a child of mine. She was in the ministry with her husband, and she had a beautiful singing voice. In the vision, I recognized the woman. I knew who she was. I did not know her personally. I knew she had left her husband, who was a pastor for another man. In fact, her former husband was this very pastor I was praying with in the parsonage kitchen. You see, unless Jesus shows you... Oh, let me skip that. I'll skip that thing there. The Lord said to me, This woman was my servant. Her husband was a pastor, and she was in the ministry with him. The devil came to her, and Jesus narrated. I saw what looked like a little imp. It almost looked like a little monkey. I saw it come and sit on this woman's shoulder and began to whisper in her ear. The Lord continued speaking to me. He said, This evil spirit whispered to this woman, quote, You're beautiful. You have been robbed in life. You're being cheated. In the world, you could have had fame, fortune, and popularity. Jesus continued, This woman knew it was the devil speaking those thoughts to her. So she said, Get behind me, Satan. And I saw that little demon jump down and run off and leave her. Jesus, still narrating, said, By and by this demon came back to her again and sat upon her shoulder and began to whisper in her ear. At this point, that evil spirit wasn't on the inside of her, but it was on the outside oppressing her mind, trying to gain access to her through her mind. But she still had authority over it because the Bible says, Greater is he that's in you, believer, than he that's in the world. 1 John 4, 4. She could have resisted the devil because the Bible says she could, James 4, 7. And she didn't have to give any place in her thoughts to the devil at all, Ephesians 4, 27. Jesus said, quote, By and by this demon came back, sat upon her shoulder and said, You are a beautiful woman. You have been cheated in life. You've been robbed in life. In the world you could have had fame, fortune, and popularity. But she knew that was the devil, so she said, Get behind me, Satan. And the demon left her for a season. Notice, when this woman exercised her rightful authority over the devil in Jesus' name, the demon had to leave her. But after a season, he returned again to tempt her. Just because you resisted Satan one time doesn't mean he won't try to come back again. The Bible doesn't teach that. Look at the temptation of Jesus. The Bible says the devil left Jesus for a season. 
Luke 4, 1 through 13. And in the vision, I saw the devil return to this Christian woman to tempt her again. As Jesus began, began narrating, I saw the little imp come again, sit on the woman's shoulder and whisper in her ear. Jesus said, by and by, the evil spirit came again and whispered in her ear, you are a beautiful woman, but you have been cheated in life. In the world, you could have had fame, fortune, money, and popularity. Jesus explained that at this point, the woman was still just being oppressed by the devil. Any Christian can be oppressed by an evil spirit. No Christian is immune to Satan's suggestions and oppression, but we don't have to yield to his suggestions. And we have authority over any oppression he tries to bring against us. Then Jesus said, but this time she began to think Satan's thoughts after him. She began to think, I am beautiful. Because she liked to think that. And she began to think, I have been cheated in life. Jesus then told me that when this woman began to think Satan's thoughts and follow Satan's suggestions, she became obsessed. See, now it's no longer oppression from the outside. Now she became obsessed with that kind of thinking. And she began to like thinking those thoughts. Then in the vision, the woman changed and she became transparent as if her body were made of glass. And I could see a black dot in her head about as big as a half a dollar. Jesus explained to me, quote, At first, this woman, my servant, was merely oppressed by this evil spirit from the outside. She rebuked him because as a child of mine, she had authority over the devil. She resisted him several times and he left. But the last time she began to listen to him and to continue to think his thoughts and listen to his suggestions because she liked to think those thoughts. Then she became obsessed with the devil's thoughts. Jesus said to me, she became obsessed with that kind of thinking, but even then it wasn't too late. She was still my child. She knew what to do. If she had wanted to put, put those thoughts out of her mind, she could have. She could have said, I refuse to think like that. That's of the devil. I resist you, Satan, in the name of Jesus. But she wanted to think those thoughts. So she continued to think like that until she became obsessed with that thinking. It's possible for a believer to become obsessed in his thinking with the devil's thoughts. But I want you to understand this. That woman could have rebuked the devil at any time because she had authority over Satan in Jesus' name, even in her thought life. Jesus explained she knew what she was doing. She even knew she was oppressed with that, obsessed with that kind of thinking. At any time, she could have said, these thoughts are of the devil, and I refuse to think like that. I command you, Satan, to leave me, get behind me, in the name of Jesus, and Satan would have obeyed her. But she liked to think, I'm beautiful. She continued to think, I've been cheated in the world. I could have had fame, fortune, and popularity. Jesus explained it wasn't until she began listening to what the devil was saying and entertain his thoughts that she began to go wrong. She eventually left her husband, took up with another man. She went from that man to another man. Then she went from that man to still another man until she had five different men and didn't marry any of them. She just lived with them. Jesus said it still wasn't too late. If she had repented and turned back to me and asked me, I would have forgiven her. She didn't need anyone to put the devil on the run for her. She could have done it herself. Jesus doesn't endorse or condone wrongdoing, but thank God he forgives wrongdoing if the believer is sincerely sorry, asks for forgiveness, and repents and turns from his sin. 1 John 1, 9. 
Also notice Jesus' statement, quote, She didn't need anyone to put the devil on to run for her. She could have done it herself. It's not enough just to have authority in Christ. Believers need to exercise the authority they have over the devil before it will do them any good. Then in the vision, I saw a leader of a particular full gospel denomination church go to a hotel. In the vision, I was standing outside the hotel. I saw the name of the hotel. Then it seemed as if I went right inside the hotel with this full gospel minister. He went up to the desk to inquire if Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so were registered there. They were. The woman was registered with the man as his wife. The minister of this denomination went up to the door of their hotel room. And in the vision, in the spirit, I was standing in the hallway. I saw the whole scene as it was taking place. The minister knocked on the door. The woman came to the door with almost no clothes on and opened it. When she opened the door, she recognized this man, a leader of the full gospel denomination. She said, I know what you came for. The minister had come to try to restore her and to pray with her and to get back to God and to come back to her husband. She said, but I want to tell you, she said, as far as Jesus Christ is concerned, to hell with him. And she slammed the door in the minister's face. Jesus said to me, you see, she doesn't want me anymore. Now, Jesus continued, if she, had, if she had been overly tempted and in a fit of temptation or in a rage of passion had said, I don't want him, I would have overlooked it and forgiven her. But she knew exactly what she was doing. She willfully and deliberately said, I don't want him. And when she said that, I saw that big black dot in her head, about as big as a half a dollar, go from her head down inside of her, into her heart, and down into her spirit. Then Jesus said to me, Now she has become possessed with that devil. The devil has control of her now, but only by her permission. So let me just sum up what he said in the last, because it's, it's take too long to read the rest. He started praying for her. Listen closely. Turn to 1 John chapter 5. Not you guys here, but the overhead projections. He started praying for her, and the Lord said, Stop praying for her. Very interesting. He did not understand that at all. And I'm going to show you a scripture. I don't want you to turn there. I just want him to put it up on the screen. You can look at it in your home, in your home Bible later. First John chapter 5 and verse 16. First John. So the Lord gave him a scripture and said, Stop praying for her. Notice this. If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask. And God will give life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death, and I do not say that you pray for that one. And he tried to pray for her. And the Lord went on to narrate and to show him that she had made up her mind without temptation. She'd gotten so far into sin, gotten so deluded, her will got so messed up, that she, without temptation, didn't want the Lord anymore. And he gives another illustration of another man that very similar things happened. But another interesting thing about this is he went to Hebrews 6, and we'll close with this. Go to Hebrews chapter 6. He said that this woman doesn't want me anymore. And if she doesn't want me anymore, she doesn't have to have me anymore. And the rest of the story shows that the woman spends, she spends eternity now in the lake of fire. He said he heard her screams and torments. It was awful. He, he didn't like it. He didn't want to hear it. So let's look at this verse here, and then we'll close. 
For Paul said, it's impossible for those who were once enlightened, tasted of the heavenly gift, partakers of the Holy Ghost, have tasted the good word of God, powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, it's impossible, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. All right? How are you going to get somebody to repent who doesn't want to repent? You can't make them. God can't make them. 10,000 angels isn't going to make them. If they choose to not want to repent, God's not going to make them repent. So to try to renew them is impossible. It reminds me of a couple scriptures that, and I won't turn there, just, just think about this. The Bible says that God gave a certain group of people up to a reprobate mind to do things that are not convenient. He, he, he quit trying to persuade them that what they were doing is wrong. He let them go. Think like, after a while, if you're not cautious, the Lord will let you do some things that you better hope to God He never let you do. You know what I mean? Without any conviction or anything like that. The book of Revelation says, let in the last days, because time is so short, let him, let, let him that's holy be holy still. Let him that's filthy be filthy still. There comes a time where you don't have time to correct it. Things are going on a downhill so strong. And I'm saying all this to say to you guys right here, let's just stay a, a million miles away from this. And if you know anybody that's in some of these areas, pray, seek the Lord, how you can help them and minister to them before something like this happens. In Romans chapter 11, it says, Behold the goodness. Oh, we all want to check out the goodness of God. Right? Romans chapter 11 says, Behold, check out the goodness of God and the severity of God. Why? So you're not lopsided in your Christian walk. There is a severe side to your Father God, and it's all out of love, and it's only because He cares and doesn't want us damned. When Paul told the guy in Corinth, when, when Paul said to the church, because they were not dealing with sin properly, he said to a guy, he said to that church, he said, You know what? I had to deliver this guy in church to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Well, you don't have to deliver lost people to Satan. They're already Satan's. Yeah. This guy was a believer, and, God, and Paul said his spirit is being jeopardized here. If something doesn't happen to get his attention, he's not listening to the word. He's not listening to prophecy. He doesn't care that it's exposed anymore. We taught a while back on a Wednesday night drastic measures, which nobody wants to get to that level. But sometimes you just got to stop praying for people. Let the devil hit them so that they wake up and get saved and not go to hell. It's called drastic measures. Basically, delivering somebody unto Satan is you're not praying for them anymore. There's no protection around them. A lot of times we protect people when really they should feel the brunt of what they're doing. Be led in the spirit in that area. Don't be stupid and stop praying when you're supposed to pray. But sometimes if it's drastic measures, it's dr it beats going to hell. It beats slipping off into perdition. It beats not wanting Jesus anymore. Right? Amen. All right. Everybody say this. Jesus, Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. These are some of the very things right here that launched me into the ministry that got me just out of 
like Galia was saying, I was going to be a rock and roll musician. I was going to go to Hollywood. I was going to go to Las Vegas. I was going to do all these things. We were great. I was in an awesome band called 357. We were doing amazing songs, and we were rocking out, and people liked us, and we were going up the ladder. And I got saved. Praise the Lord. Amen. I don't know how long I would have lasted in that lifestyle. But these are some of the things that gripped me and helped me to realize this is real. I mean, if this is real, then the joy is real. Then the power is real. Then heaven is real. Then angels are real. But if, 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 if we think this isn't real, how are you going to believe all the rest of it's real? Same Bible. It's not one saved, always saved. Paul said, behold the goodness and the severity of God. If you have that scripture in Romans 11, you can show it. But behold the goodness and the severity of God. On them which fell severity, but on us... Goodness, if you continue in goodness, otherwise you also shall be cut off. Got to look at these scriptures, guys. Even though it's not going to happen to us, praise God. You have to have this in your system to know that God does mean business in some areas. He's your father, and there are some things that we need to see like he sees so we can have a well-rounded Christian life. And let's stand up.